What a predicament for Israel's leaders. They must make perplexing decisions during constant warfare while being continually dismayed that the nations worldwide tend to favor terrorists and promote the terrorist agenda. As the Apostle Paul predicted, love has grown cold and the world is calling evil good. That makes it a busy time for us intercessors. In today's program, I'll be discussing eight characteristics of the vital ministry of end-time watchmen on the walls during these perilous times. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dar. On October 7, 2023, Satan exposed his true colors to the world. It's shocking how many people are on the side of evil and are justifying unbelievable levels of anti-Semitism. Since October 7, the end-time countdown clock seems to be moving faster than ever. It's closer to midnight. Something was triggered that day. It was as if the proverbial genie was let out of the bottle and demons were unleashed on the entire globe. Something changed in the spiritual atmosphere. We can't say the situation only involves the Middle East. It involves all of our nations and our attitude toward the Jewish state. Many of us sense an urgency to share the gospel as never before. And the church needs to be taking Israel seriously and what God's word says about ownership of the land. But instead, churches are slipping further into apostasy. The silence of the shepherds, not all of them, of course, but most of the silence is shocking because many pulpits will not take a stand or even dare to pray publicly for the peace of Jerusalem as the Bible commands us to do. Yet, irony of ironies, the Jewish people are prophesied to be key players in the end times. For example, have you ever thought about who are the evangelists during the tribulation period mentioned in the book of Revelation? Baptists, Methodists, Anglicans? No, the book of Revelation clearly teaches that the world will be evangelized by 144,000 evangelists from the 12 tribes of Israel and by two Hebraic witnesses in Jerusalem, most likely Moses and Elijah. Various factors will figure into the time when the nation of Israel will receive genuine faith in the Messiah. Of course, the number one factor will be the Lord's decision and timing to lift the judicial blindness that he imposed upon Israel as a result of rejection of Messiah when Jesus, Yeshua, came the first time. The removal of the church through the rapture will also be a major factor, as will be the spectacular preaching of the two witnesses who were introduced in Revelation chapter 11 and the 144,000 evangelists from the tribes of Israel. Israel's great distress during the time of Jacob's trouble will cause the Jewish people to put their trust in God alone. Once the end-time birth pains have started, 
They simply cannot be stopped, postponed, or slowed down. Events will continue to intensify. Beware! The coming world leader known in the Bible as the Antichrist will bring a most deceptive fake peace and prosperity. But his rule will be short-lived. The second coming of Jesus will put an end to his deception and global tyranny. In light of the seriousness of our times, today I want to discuss the vital ministry of the watchmen on the walls. In Isaiah 62, 6, God says he's posted watchmen, intercessors, on the walls of Jerusalem, and I hope you are amongst them. Most of the watch passages in the Bible apply to three things, looking for the fulfillment of the Lord's prophetic purposes, waiting for the coming of the Lord, and staying alert in the Spirit. Today, I'll mention eight specific points concerning the vital ministry of end-time watchmen on the walls during these perilous times. Of course, this topic can never be exhausted, but here are some salient points. First of all, we watch the Lord. We ask him to show us his plans, which are often so different from our own, and he will show us things to come. He will also sometimes uncover Satan's plans so that through our intercessions we can send a preemptive prayer strike into the enemy's camp before the powers of darkness are able to carry out their diabolical work. Believe it or not, many unseen calamities are averted because God's people are watching and praying. Secondly, to be one of the Lord's trusted watchmen is one of the highest callings in the earth. From the biblical examples of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, we learn that a watchman is to accept the responsibility of warning people and nations of their sins so that the watchman's hands are free from blood. Ezekiel 33 is a foundational word. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the whole house of Israel. So give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, but you do not speak out, to dissuade him from his way, then that wicked man will die in his iniquity. Yet I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you turn the wicked man away from his way, and he does not turn from it, he will die in his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. So the watchman has the awesome responsibility to be free from the blood guilt of sinners. If sinners feel comfortable around us because we have refused to share the gospel, God will hold us accountable. If we warn them and if they repent, good. And if they refuse to repent, we are nevertheless free from the consequences. Some people are afraid to share the gospel because they fear they'll get no results. But I like this quote from the late evangelical theologian John Stott. To evangelize does not mean to win converts, but simply to announce the good news, irrespective of results. Thirdly, the watchman watches the fig tree, Israel, and all the trees representing the nations. Yeshua told the disciples to learn the parable of the fig tree, representing natural Israel. 
Watchmen are true shepherds who are guarding the fig tree and also the olive tree. The olive tree represents the commonwealth of Israel, consisting of the one new man of Jews and Gentiles together in the body of Messiah. Officially crowned as the national tree of Israel, the olive tree holds a special place in the heart of the country as a symbol of peace, longevity, and resilience. A fascinating aspect of the olive tree is its long lifespan. Some olive trees in Israel are believed to be thousands of years old, standing as silent witnesses to centuries of history. The olive tree is deeply intertwined with Jewish identity and heritage, being one of the seven species mentioned in the Bible. And an olive branch decorates Israel's state emblem. The Garden of Gethsemane is an important location for Christians because it's the place where Jesus prayed before he was crucified. And Gethsemane means olive press in Hebrew. There are more than 20 ancient olive trees in Gethsemane. Speculation varies as to their age. Reportedly, they originated from a common parent tree. The amazing thing about olive trees is that they're capable of growing back from the roots if they are cut down. That within itself is a metaphor for the nation of Israel, which went into exile in 70 AD, but was resurrected in 1948. Well, our understanding of the times can only be fully comprehended when we take Israel into account. A person who doesn't understand God's purposes for Israel can be deceived into believing that the church age will just continue indefinitely. But the church age has a sell-by date, an expiry date, which only God knows when the full number of the mystical body of Messiah will be completed. And God knows when the church reaches its fullness and when the last Gentile is saved, that, according to Romans 11.25, will be the time known as the fullness of the Gentiles. And then when the church has reached its capacity, its fullness, it will be removed from the earth through the event known as the rapture, and God will return to working through the nation of Israel. Point number four for watchmen. Night vigils are part of the watchman's ministry. Lamentations 2.19 says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lots of churches used to have all-night prayer meetings. In Isaiah 21, the Holy Spirit asked twice, Watchmen, what of the night? Watchmen, what of the night? In 2 Corinthians 11:27, the Apostle Paul, who admonished his followers to imitate him, listed watchings among his spiritual activities. This word in the New Testament is agrupnea, just meaning sleeplessness. In Luke 6.12, we learn that Jesus spent the whole night in prayer to God. Also, in Genesis 32.24, the patriarch Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. It's a picture of spiritual warfare in prayer. Psalm 119 has several references to night vigils, such as, I meditate on you in the night watches, and my eyes anticipate the night watches. 
that I may meditate on your word. Number five, the watchman also functions as a seer. In Isaiah 21, verses six to eight, the Lord said, go post a watchman and have him report what he sees. And in Habakkuk 2, 1, the prophet said, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the ramparts and will watch to see what he will say unto me. To see in this verse is Sapah, Strong's number 6822, meaning to lean forward, to peer into the distance. Watching is not just a ministry of prayer, it's a ministry of seeing and looking ahead. It's the ministry of perceiving God's whole prophetic program. Like the sons of Issachar, we must understand the perilous times washing over the world. To paraphrase, the prophet Habakkuk said, During my time in my watchtower, the Lord is going to speak to me, and he will open my eyes to see things. Isn't that exactly what happened to the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10? While he was in Jaffa, Peter went to the rooftop to pray, and he fell into a trance. Then, to his great astonishment, he saw a vision that included Gentiles in God's plan of salvation. Through that one vision of unclean animals, repeated three times, the church's future was revolutionized. There was a knock on the door, and Peter was commanded, nothing doubting, to accompany three Gentiles to the home of a centurion named Cornelius, where he began to preach to them about Messiah. The Holy Spirit fell in that house, and there was a Gentile Pentecost. The church was no longer the exclusive Jewish brethren. Much of our exports ministry has operated simply by watching the Lord. For years, we held prayer meetings, but also evangelistic outreaches with Bible distribution in the villages according to Jesus' own words in Matthew 10, 23. Truly I tell you, he said, you will not have gone over all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Somebody suggested that I should study demographics to decide where our ministry team should go each month. But why did I need to study dry statistics? All I had to do was follow the Lord. He promised in Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. To paraphrase, Abba Father says, I will keep my eye upon you, and you will keep your eyes upon me. As I go, you must follow. So we held a series of open-air gospel meetings on the summit of the Mount of Olives in a park called The Tent, owned by Muslims. When seeking his face for guidance, I had prayed, Lord, do you really want us to hold open-air evangelistic meetings in this park? Or do you want us to rent a conference room in a hotel? I reasoned that it was a lot safer to hold an event in a hotel on the Mount of Olives rather than meeting outside. But the Lord said to me, anybody can hire a hotel room to hold a meeting. I want you to take the sounds of the gospel and preach in the open air on the Mount of Olives. As I prayed and sought his face for confirmation, I saw the Lord starting to walk up the Mount of Olives on the same Palm Sunday road on which he had descended down to Jerusalem on the donkey. 
In my vision, he turned around and looked at me because I was hesitating, and he beckoned me to follow him up to the top where the park was located. It was potentially dangerous to conduct open-air gospel meetings on the Mount of Olives near the Ascension Chapel, which today is a mosque. But he called us to do it, and his grace was sufficient. And it turns out we held all sorts of gospel events in that location without any incident except Holy Spirit incident. Remember, the Holy Spirit promises to show us things to come. This past November, my husband and I went to Saudi Arabia, and we received 100% assurance that the journey was planned by the Lord. In a night vision, I had seen a bright angel dressed in a white Saudi robe and headdress leading the way. I was confident that the journey had originated with him and would be successful. The visionary gift also occurred while the Apostle John was praying on the Isle of Patmos. In Revelation 1.11, John was commanded, What thou seest, write in a book. Not what thou hearest, but what thou seest, write in a book. John said, I turned to see the voice. The watchman sees prophetic events about to happen. Now, this current outpouring of the Holy Spirit is an outpouring of seeing. This is all the more prophetic because Israel will soon become a nation of seers. How do we know this? According to Zechariah 12.10, God prophesied, and I will pour upon the house of David, that's the Jews, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that's also the Arabs, the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall what? They shall look upon me. That's the visionary realm whom they have pierced and mourn for him. They will become believers. Visions and dreams were predicted to characterize the last days. So said Joel 2.28, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. So the watchman is a seer in the spirit. Number six. Now let's also face the harsh reality that the post of a watchman is lonely. Think about this. The ancient watchman was selected not only for his good vision, but he had to endure lonely times of watching for an approaching enemy without any respite. He was commissioned to endure all extremities in weather, hot, searing sun by day, and freezing cold temperatures by night. And he surely couldn't sleep on the job. That could amount to disaster. Number seven, the watchman does not spare the enemy, but engages in ruling prayer and fasting to destroy any strongholds that Satan may have established. Psalm 110 is an important scripture in this regard. The Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Your people shall be willing in the day of your power, the day of your battle. Concerning ruling prayer, there's an important principle in Amos 3, 7, one of my favorites. Surely Adonai Jehovah will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, 
the prophets. The Lord tells us things and alerts us to activities. For example, the Lord told me one morning in 1981 to be sure to pray for Israel that day. And I later heard in the news that Israel had that day conducted a surprise airstrike to destroy an Iraqi nuclear reactor that was being constructed near Baghdad. Psalm 2 declares, ask for the nations for an inheritance. And we evangelists love to quote that verse. But the next verse promises, you shall dash them to pieces with a rod of iron. This speaks of the spiritual warfare ministry in delivering nations for the gospel. We see the weaknesses and the fragility of the strongholds of Satan. And so we watch. And the Lord gives us prayer strategies as we watch the enemy and we discern his weaknesses. Just as Samson collapsed the pillars of a pagan temple, there are certain religious pillars that are weak because they're built upon lies. And we can dash them to pieces with a rod of God's word. The lives that have built walls can be breached by the truth of the hammer of the Lord's word. Then believers can push the weak pillars, the lives of Satan, in the name of the Lord, and false systems will collapse as long as there's corporate prayer and fasting. Therefore, to be a watchman is to discover the points of weaknesses in the devil's kingdom so that we can dash Satan's strongholds to pieces in the name of the Lord. That's ruling prayer. A wise watchman watches strongholds and discovers their weaknesses, the lies, and the errors. And then the watchman takes the sword of the Spirit and the hammer of the Word and smashes those lies, those strongholds, cutting them off in the name of the Lord. Thus, a faithful watchman can be responsible potentially for setting free whole people groups. As part of the Psalm 110-like ruling prayer, watchmen pray for critical issues such as international terrorism to expose and to thwart the plans of men intent on destruction of Israel or our nations. An American official has stated that it's not if but when America will experience a biological attack or a nuclear suitcase bomb on its shores. It's time to watch and pray. There's also great concern over world financial markets. The Lord is raising up his watchmen to watch over the financial markets. Watchmen simply watch the news. We can't bury our heads. Some people say, I only read my Bible. I don't watch the news or read the newspapers. But the watchman knows what's going on in current events. We cannot rule in the heavenlies if we don't know what's going on so that we can pray intelligently. So to be a watchman is to guard and protect the purposes of the Lord where he has given us responsibility. Ruling prayer in our areas of authority has great weight in heaven. Number eight, my last point today, seasoned watchmen are rare. God is pruning and refining us. He didn't need all of Gideon's army. Some were too soft and self-indulgent. God had to whittle down Gideon's army to 300 choice warriors. Sin and a lack of consecration keeps a lot of would-be intercessors out of the fight. 19th century Liverpool Bishop J.C. Ryle wrote the following sobering words. For one seemingly small sin, Adam lost paradise. 
for one seemingly small sin, Saul lost the kingdom. The truth is there are no small sins. Yes, indeed, sins can obstruct our fellowship with the Father. Both the prophet Elijah and his successor, Elisha, had a frequent saying, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand. Are we able to stand in the Lord's presence without condemnation? The moment we're conscious of sin in our life, we have to take precious but necessary time to go into repentance mode. So many times we offend in thought, in word, and in deed, and we may even need to make restitution. But if we don't, there'll be a distance between the Lord and us. And that's why there are so few watchmen with authority. Let's learn to approach the throne with a clear conscience and say, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand. In my lifetime, I've seen great men and women set on the sidelines because they couldn't bend or forgive. Nevertheless, authoritative watchmen are emerging who have paid the price of obedience in all things. May the Lord give us eye salve to be his watchman. May he bring us to a greater revelation that we need not only to pray, but also to watch. I dare to prophesy the Lord will anoint our eyes to be end-time watchmen. The warfare surely will increase, and so will our time of watching on the ramparts. Today, I want to conclude with the last known words of one of my favorite Christian authors, Watchman Nee, who had changed his name to Watchman to describe his Christian vocation. Ni was a great Chinese teacher of the 20th century, and he was surely a watchman for his nation. Persecuted for his faith, Watchman Ni died in a communist Chinese prison camp in 1972. One of his relatives was called to the labor farm where he had been incarcerated and where she learned that he had died. A piece of paper in his handwriting was found in his bed. He wanted to testify to the truth of his lifelong experience. He wrote, Christ is the Son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and was resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ. Signed, Watchman Nee. He was faithful unto death. And yes, I agree. The sacrificial death of Jesus for sinners and his resurrection, these are the greatest truths in the universe. I hope this program has been helpful for you today. We invite you to continue to find insights at our website, exploits.tv, and also at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, where you'll find a library of videos 24-7. We also invite you to sign up for our weekly email called Exploits, based upon Daniel 1132, declaring that people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and we will accomplish exploits, meaning we'll do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. Please feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media, and do check out our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. And for more in-depth insights, be sure to check out my archive of articles on Substack. Until next time, always contending for the faith 
and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. Back before the beginning of October, this Jaffa Gate, the western entrance to the holy city of Jerusalem, was bustling with Jews celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, the nations coming up to also keep the feast according to the prophecy in Zechariah 14. And Arabs were here doing business. So much has happened since then, and the nation has become traumatized, reeling from the war, from the casualties. And we, as the people of God, must minister comfort and hope to this nation according to Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to the heart of Jerusalem and say, your warfare has been accomplished for you have paid double for your sins. Soon Messiah will come and set up his kingdom here. And that's why we at the Jerusalem Channel bring to you an understanding of the times. So stay with us and we will keep you informed.